Oh, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here this morning. It's great to see so many uh, eager, enthusiastic, committed people for Jesus. More than the numbers. We've always said all along as a church, and there's probably, I don't want to start with a downer, (laughs) but we've always said all along as a church that we cared little for numbers. Ever since the church started, we've cared little for numbers, we've cared more for people who are hungry for truth. Who want to know God's truth because God's truth is what sets them free. Who wants to discern between uh, fabrication and truth. And pray for us because we want to continue to do our best in the Lord's name. We want to continue to do our best to share with you truth. Encourage truth, the truth of Jesus. In a world where uh, truth is being lost, the words of Christ are being mocked. And the Bible is being treated like another book. How great it is to see so many people eager to know truth and to know the, the Lord Jesus Christ more and more intimately. And I thank God that you come this morning with hearts that are eager to listen to the word of God. And I'm, I'm not naive to think that, you know, I'm not the only person you listen to all week. You know, many of you come on a Thursday night and a, and a Wednesday night Bible study. But I'm also not naive to think that uh, we're not the only one. That's not the only time that you listen, things, listen to things during the week. But in this short little time we have on a Sunday morning, I pray that our hearts are open to hear what God has to give us. I pray that our hearts are open to receive the word of Christ and, and what he wants to share with us. And so that we, we're fed and that we're encouraged uh, in, the things, in the things of the Lord. This morning, it's a, again, it's a privilege and it's such an honour to share with you God's word. And like I said, I really do hope that your hearts are open to hear the word of God. Whether you're here for the first time uh, face-to-face, whether you're here the first time at all, or whether you've been here for years and years and years, it's an absolute privilege to share with you God's word. And I do really pray that your hearts are open to listen and to receive what God has to tell you this morning. A lot of you might be familiar, if you've read some Christian literature before, or if you've heard messages, lots of messages before, I imagine there'd be a whole bunch of you in this room that would be familiar with the story of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a famous Christian leader, I think back in the 19th century. And uh, there's a story of D.L. Moody that I'm sure a lot of you would know about, is when there was a a Christian conference happening in America. And there were a lot of European pastors who came to this conference. And one of their traditions as European pastors is they would leave their shoes outside their hotel rooms, expecting that someone would come and polish their shoes. But on this particular night, because it, was the, because it was in America, the custom wasn't quite the same. And on that particular night, D.L. Moody felt on his heart, very, very famous man, very, very famous Christian leader at the time, uh, felt on his heart that he should do it for them. So he tried to gather some Bible college students to come and help him, but they were like, no, 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 why would I want to do this? You know, polish someone else's shoes. And, and so he took it upon himself to though, grab those shoes and overnight just made sure that they were all clean and they were all polished so that the next morning the European pastors would wake up and find their shoes polished and he did and they did and it's an interesting story of uh, serving or being in a place where we're actually willing to do something for other people even if it's not necessarily expected of us 
And Christianity today, I think, and, and the Christian churches today, I think, is, have become a place where things are done when it's kind of convenient for us to do them. Things are done when it's kind of comfortable for us to do them. If it suits kind of where I'm at with life, if it kind of suits my preferences in life, the way I'm doing things and the plans that I have with life, if it's convenient, then I'll, I'll do it. And I think that sort of says something to us today about what we should be and who we should be as Christians and people who decide to become followers of Jesus Christ because Christianity has never been and never will be a place of convenience, a place of comfortability, a place where God's plan must squeeze somehow into my plan for it to be okay. In fact, if I can be very blunt and honest with you all, what God does is says, give me your plans, shakes them up, and then says, now this is what I want. Because at the end of the day, Christianity isn't for us to design. We don't design it around what we want to be and how we want to live. It's about us choosing to give our whole lives over to the cause of Christ. That's why, you know, young people go to school and they want to be Christian, then they get, they get laughed at. Because it doesn't fit the pattern of this world. And when you watch these young people stand up for their faith and say, you know what, even though I'm going to be laughed at, I still want to be a Christian, I still want to follow Christ, how my heart leaps for joy for these people. Because how hard is it to, to stand in a time when, when it doesn't fit the pattern? Or if you want to have your home designed in such a way that fits the, the scriptures and people look outside and they think, why do you do that for? And how come you guys act like this for? And, and, and there's a kind of a misunderstanding. Well, you don't, you're not living for people to understand you. You know, you're not living Christianity for, in a way that people understand you. You're doing it so that you're honouring the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's really fantastic. That's, that's a, it's wonderful because it basically, you know, to, to use the phrase, it separates the sheep from the goat. What it does at the end of the day, it allows the genuine, faithful Christian who puts their hand to the plough to say, this is what a Christian is. And the world then gets to see the image of Christ, not the image of a church. They get to see the image of Christ, not the image of man. And this morning we're going to study a little bit or look into a little bit of the life of Jesus because there is no other greater character in the scriptures than Jesus himself. But before we do that, I want, to bring, I want to bring up an interesting topic that for some of us is an uncomfortable one. It's an uncomfortable topic. Probably for many of us, it's an uncomfortable topic. And it's this thing that we have at the bottom of our bodies called feet. It's an uncomfortable topic for some people. If someone said to you, oh, let me see your feet. What's your feet look like? All of a sudden, we get a bit nervous. They want to look at my feet. You know, we cover our feet more than we cover our hands, don't we? We look at our feet and, oh, you know, show me your toes. You know, are they, are, are they hairy? Are your feet, are, you, are your toes long? Are they short? Are they smelly? And all of a sudden we talk about feet and we get this really this uncomfortability now. I don't know, we just feel a little bit uncomfortable at the idea of people looking at our feet, let alone touching our feet. But we have this beautiful passage in the scripture, really beautiful passage in the scripture where, where, where Jesus decides to throw all that away and stoops to a place where he washes feet. And in that time, and in that time, while it was probably not as uncommon to have your feet washed, 
it was certainly less common to be the one washing. Less common to be the one washing. Okay, you might have gone to someone's house and they, they may have been wealthy enough to have a servant that when you came to their house, their servant would wash your feet because you probably wore sandals on dusty roads and so they would come into the home and perhaps as a place of generosity and hospitality, their servant would wash your feet. So while it was probably, less, it was probably more common to have your feet washed, it was certainly less common to then expect you to wash someone else's feet. But Jesus took upon himself to do this. And I want to read this this particular passage this morning because I want to sort of wrap up this thing that I've been trying to talk to us about over the last couple of weeks and this sweetness of fellowship. And the beautiful, how beautiful fellowship is. And while a couple of weeks ago we spoke about the sweetness of fellowship, when though there was a crowd, there were men who brought their friend down the roof in order to fellowship and have connection with Jesus. And last week, how we looked at Ephesians 4 and how God is bringing his fellowship to a place of worthiness and stability and Christ-likeness and contribution to the place where God has called his people to be. I want to wrap up this idea of the sweetness of fellowship through this most beautiful, precious passage in the scripture where Jesus stoops to the place of a servant and says, hey, let me wash your feet. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on the word of God as we come before his word today and read what he has to say to us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the many, many hearts that want to come and open up their hearts to receive what you have to give them. Uh, We're not a place that wants to glorify ourselves. We're not a place that wants to honor ourselves. We just want to see you glorified and honored, Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray, Lord, this morning that we break every barrier, that we would, we would come to a place that imitates you, that we would come into intimate fellowship with you, Lord Jesus, and that we would know what it means to fellowship with you and with one another. So, Father, help us come today. Help us to see the beautiful image, the picture of our Lord and Savior lowering himself, to wash the feet of his disciples. Speak to our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you can follow me this morning, we're going to read from John chapter 13. And I want to read this passage to you. And I will read through it first of all. And then I want to highlight a couple of points, a few points from this passage. So if you've got your Bible with you, um, open up to John chapter 13. And let's, let's have a read together this really remarkable passage of Jesus doing what servants do and washing feet and not thinking or considering himself to be too good for this very, very uh, lowly task. Uh, and this is not long before his own crucifixion and uh, a great image, a great story, a great testimony that he leaves his disciples. John chapter 13 in the New Testament Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. After supper being ended, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, and was going to God, rose from supper, and laid aside his garments. 
He took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was, which, with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but you will after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you'll have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but he's completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and um, sat down again, he said to them, Do you know that what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed or happy are you if you do them. That's a fascinating passage, a very, very popular passage. And in this passage here, there's really no sense in the heart of Jesus as to the people he's doing it to, but more so what he's doing, whether it's to the kind or the unkind, whether it's to the helpful or the unhelpful, whether it's the ones who love him or, as we see, the ones who are going to betray him. He's not distinguishing and deciding in himself, this is a convenient act because if I do it to these guys, then I'm going to get it back. Or if I do it to these guys, it somehow it kind of is going is to make me a better person. He's not doing this out of a convenience, nor for those who are just being kind to him. He's doing it because he wants to teach them something significant about the concept of fellowship and the love and the service that Christians have for one another. And he says, you know what, I'm not going to teach this. I'm not even going to teach this just by teaching it. I'm going to model this. I'm going to give an example of this. I'm going to go to the place where I'm going to stoop and lower myself and touch their feet and be so intimate with them that they understand this is what it means to love and truly serve. To the point where Peter was a bit kind of taken back by it that he didn't really want his Lord to be doing this to him until Jesus explained why he needed to do it. This is a popular passage. It's a very, very popular passage where people read all the time. And it's a passage where maybe sometimes we read so much that we lose, lose the essence, if you like, or maybe you lose the power of what this passage is going to say. But in this passage, there is one word, there is one word that becomes problematic. You read this passage and you'll find as you read through it, there's one word that kind of, kind of comes to the surface in my mind that if it exists in us, then we have a really, really big problem with this passage. And the word is pride. The word is pride. Pride is such a destructive thing. Pride is like... It gets into the heart and the fabric of a church and if it goes undetected, somehow what happens is eventually things begin to crumble. Things begin to get destroyed. 
It, it feeds into the heart and fabric of people's lives. It feeds into the hearts and fabrics of people's homes, people's relationships, even marriages. And if it's not detected soon, and if it's not detected early, and if it's not detected honestly, it begins to destroy and crumble the foundations of people's lives, even the church brothers and sisters. It's like the white ants. Have you ever had problems with your home with white ants, termites? They'll get into things, they'll get into places, they'll get into the foundations of your home and they'll go for for potentially months, even years undetected and they're very smart in not allowing you to detect them. But all the smartness, if you like, eventually can't stop the problem from occurring. And as much as we want to try and hide the the pride in our hearts that somehow we think ourselves to be too good for people or somehow we can't find ourselves lowering ourselves for people, no matter what it is that we try and do, the more we try and make pride somehow non-existent or not obvious in front of other people, eventually it will rear its head and the destruction that it has been causing all along will come to pass. And we are fools to think that we can cover or manage our pride forever. Oh, no one's going to see. No one's going to tell. If deep in my heart I'm easily offended, or deep in my heart I somehow feel arrogant towards someone, or deep in my heart I think, oh, why should I go speak to them? They've never spoken to me. Or why should I call them? They've never called me. Or why doesn't so-and-so call me? I see how they talk to that person, they don't talk to me. Like Deep in our heart, if we don't deal with it at that level, it is going to eventually destroy the foundations of our faith and the foundations of our church. Believe me, the scriptures teach this. The scriptures teach the power and the influence of being so proud that we want things done conveniently for us. So much so that we'll care for those who are kind to us, but we'll care less for those who are unkind. So much so that if helping someone is not convenient, then we try and avoid it. All these things that feed into this idea of love, or rather take away from this idea of love and service. So this message, if you like, this message this morning, there's a problem with it because unless we're prepared to ask ourselves that hard question or the hard questions, then this message is going to mean very little to us this morning. Questions like, am I prepared to excuse the pride in my heart? Uh, If we're not prepared to ask ourselves these sort of questions, this message will mean little. If we're not prepared to say to ourselves, is this me? Am I actually someone who is proud and not willing to deal with it? Then really what I'm going to share with you this morning is just going to be a nice story about a nice man who did nice things to nice people. That's not Christianity. Christianity changes lives. It transforms lives. We don't want to inform you. We want Christ to transform you. And so let's deal with this question. Let's get it on the table straight away. Am I proud and am I willing to confront it or am I willing, more willing to excuse it? The Bible tells us in Philippians 2 this, it says this, Let this mind be in you 
which was also in Christ Jesus. So Paul tells the Philippians, I want you to have a mind, a state of mind, a, a frame of mind that was like Jesus. What was that frame of mind? He says this. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Now, it's easy to sort of rush over this passage, but I want us just to pause for a moment and I want to think about what Paul's telling the church in in Philippi. He's basically saying, I want you to have a frame of mind. I want your heart and your mind to be fixed on a particular thought. And the thought is this. Jesus, who was God and didn't consider it to be robbery, to be equal with God because that's his rightful position, came in a place of no reputation and made himself or humbled himself and made himself like us. And what Paul is trying to say to us is this, that the Son of God, the Son of God, who found himself, um, or rather, who was in a place that he could have called himself anything. He could have called himself anything. He called himself a servant. He called himself a servant. How wonderful is that? How wonderful for the Son of God to call himself a servant. He goes, that's the frame of mind that he wants us to have. So let's look at Jesus and let's look at what he did. Let's go back to this passage and look at some verses in this passage. In verse 1, Jesus knows his hour had come. He was about to be crucified, if you like. He was about to leave this world and suffer a very agonizing death. And the Bible tells us that he had loved his own in the world and he'd loved them to the end. And already what the Bible is painting here is a beautiful picture that everything that Jesus did and everything he lived for was to be in a place of, was driven by, in a, with a heart of love. So much so that he loved his own, but he loved them to the end. And this is where our first great challenge happens when it comes to this passage. Because we're great, human beings are great in loving people to the point where it's convenient for us to love them. But when it gets tough, and it gets hard, and they do things that are uncomfortable, or not, they, they become less like us, or they become annoying, or whatever, then it's difficult for us, it's difficult humanly, to continue to love them to the end. But the Lord Jesus Christ models something beautiful to us. He models something that we read in 1 Corinthians 13. He models a love, the Bible says, that never fails. That what he's able to do is to say, you know, I know what you like. He knew his disciples. He knew the ones that were vocal. He knew, he knew the ones that probably did less. He knew the ones that were going to betray him. He knew all these people, but he understood something significant. His call was to love them to the end. He wasn't loving them because they loved him. He wasn't loving them because they treated him nice. He wasn't loving them because it was convenient. He loved them to the end. And therein, brothers and sisters, is the very essence or definition of love. Love isn't convenient all the time. Love isn't comfortable all the time. Love isn't always going to suit our preferences all the time. But love models Christ. We love until the end. We don't wait to be loved in order to love, but we love. And we do this because we model the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't say to ourselves, I'll love you until a certain time, but I'll love you to the end. And I think 
That's where it all begins. And as a church, whether your feet are hairy, smelly, if your toes are long or your toenails are longer, we love you to the end. Because does it really matter? Does it really matter? Verse 2. And supper being ended, the devil having already uh, put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. Now, this is a very interesting passage. Listen to this verse here for a moment. In this point of the time that Jesus was loving his disciples, in this point where Jesus knew that he had a commitment to them and the fellowship, if you like, was very sweet. Here they were celebrating Passover, doing things together quite intimately as a fellowship. Jesus knew that in this time, uh, he had to do this to the very end. But the sniff that the devil got was this. How am I going to come and interfere in this sweet fellowship amongst Jesus and his disciples? And I want us to understand something very significant here, brothers and sisters, that the devil has always worked and will always work in the midst of the fellowship of God. Let us not be naive. He will come when he gets a sniff of the fact that the fellowship is growing and loving one another and committed to one another. He doesn't sit back and watch it like a Netflix. He gets involved and he gets involved very well because he's, he's smart and he's sneaky and he wants to drop seeds of discord because he wants to create a disunity because Christ is promoting and preaching a unity amongst his people. And so what he's doing here, he does no less to the church today. And any fellowship that wants to gather together sweetly, whether it's a home or whether it's a church or whether it's a marriage or whether it's friendships, he gets, it, he gets it in his mind to want to come in and interfere with this, just like he got it in his mind here to interfere with the sweetness of the fellowship of Christ and his disciples. But you know what the good news is? The devil could try He tried with vaccination, unvaccinated in our church. He tried to do that. He tries when he says, when people say things like, oh, but, you know, uh, why can't I be part of that group? But they're part of that group. Or how come they spoke to me like this? He'll try. He'll do all sorts of things to try. But the good news is, brothers and sisters, that we're not ignorant of his devices. The church in a place called Corinth many, many years ago had an issue with a particular person in their church and they took a very strong stand against this person. They took a very strong stand against this person. So much so that Paul had to write his second letter to them to somehow reassure them or kind of guide them into a place where they they don't want to be too hard on this person because they could lose him. And he writes this to them. He says this, Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven the one, that one, for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices, he tells them. And so Paul is, what, what Paul is doing, he's being very perceptive. He's saying, you know what? I'm seeing something in your enthusiasm, but I'm seeing a seed that's beginning to grow, and I want to address this seed because we're not naive of the devices in which the devil 
uses. So while he tries to step in and do things that are going to get into your heart to create a place of pride, he says, we're not naive of this. We're not naive of this. And we need to come to a place of humility. So much so, if you look at verse 4, that's what Jesus did. So even though the devil had worked, and even though he'd put into the heart of Simon Iscariot to betray him, Verse 4 tells us that Jesus rose from supper and laid aside his garment, took a towel and girded himself and then began to wash. He laid aside his garments. Now one of the reasons why people would have laid aside their garments in those days and taken something and wrapped around him is to be able to get down on his knees, whatever he had to do, and not allow his garments to get in the way of what he was about to do and serve them. You get that? Because you imagine if you're sort of kneeling on your garment, you're sort of you know, falling over because of this. So what he does, he takes away every single hindrance that will get him as close as he can to the people that he was going to wash feet, love and serve. You're getting the picture, aren't you? Oh yeah, we can, we can love and serve one another. And we can have all these little reasons why we do it from a distance. Or we do it cautiously. Or we do it, you know, protectively. But to take away every hindrance and barrier and say, you know what? I'm not doing it because you're kind to me. I do it because I love you. I don't do it because somehow I'm going to get something from you. I do it because I love you. This is the sweetness of fellowship, brothers and sisters. This is the church. This is Christian. Do you get that? This isn't a, a great... Uh, 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 somehow another level of Christianity. This is Christianity. And to be able to be in a place where you say, ah, I get that. I, I know that the world will tell me you don't deserve this. Like as if they would have said to Judas Iscariot, you don't deserve him to be washing your feet, Judas. Just get on and do what you've got to do. Get out of here. But he does this. He removes every hindrance because he wants to get as close as he can and wash the feet of his disciples. I tell you the truth, brothers and sisters, that if there was pride in the heart of Jesus, he could never have done this. Does it matter if someone started the issue? Really, does it matter? I mean, really, how mature are we? Oh, but they started the issue. Does it really matter? Yeah, but they said that thing first. Yeah, does it really, really matter? So, they, so Judah started it first. Does it really matter if they don't deserve it? Fear, pride, arrogance, bitterness, and so on. They're all going to get in the way. They're all going to be hindrances. They're going to stop us from stooping lowly, humbly, and washing the feet like a servant washes feet. I want you to consider who's doing this for a moment. It's Jesus. I want you to consider for a moment who's doing this. Remember we said before he was in the form of God and didn't consider it robbery to be equal of God? I want you to look at this for a moment. John tells us this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's a reference to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And here he is, humbling himself to wash feet. I don't know, can we even wrap our brains around that? 
I, I, I can't. I cannot wrap my brain around the fact that here we have God, God who created in the flesh, like me, washing feet. And I say, oh, but they don't deserve it. They started it. What an amazing example. What a sweet picture of fellowship. The Bible tells us that we only love God because he loved us first. Is that right? We love him because he first loved us. And I believe that happens with conflict as well. I believe one of the, the biggest, greatest resolutions of conflict is this. Let us love first in order for them to love us back. It's one of the greatest principles of resolving conflict. But when people hold off and they say, oh, I want to see them love me first, uh, so many other issues begin to emerge, not, not to mention how long it takes for things to get resolved. Jesus was God. He became flesh and he washed feet. Then fast forward to a time that is going to come still in Revelation and it says this, And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand there you go mathematicians work that out ten times ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing so in a time to come you've got thousands and millions you've got angels around the throne saying to jesus worthy is the lamb and he's the one that bowed down and washed feet. That's remarkable. It's remarkable. To get our heads around the idea that God was in the flesh washing feet, the same one where thousands and thousands and thousands of creatures and elders and angels were around the throne giving praise and glory to him. Here's what I think. Whether you like it or not or whether you take it or not, here's what I think. If you remain proud toward other people, like you can't wash their feet, for example, it's probably because you still remain in a state of pride before God. I'll say that again. That if you are in a place of pride before others, you're too proud to humble yourself and be a place of service and love then it's probably most likely because you still remain in a state of pride before God. And you haven't come to the end of yourself. You're holding on to self. You're struggling to let go of me. There's me that has to be saved. There's me that has to be protected. There's me that can't, can't, uh, can't resist temptation of of having my way and stating my way it's a bit like when john says if someone says i love god and hates his brother he's a liar because for he does not for, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen how can he love god whom he has not seen it's the same principle <laughs> you say oh you say i um, uh, um i don't love my brother but i love god <laughs> oh i love god and John's saying, what are you talking about? How can you say that you, you don't love your brother and who, that you see them, your brother? And then you say, I love God who you don't see. It takes more faith to believe that. And it's quite interesting. And I think it's the same thing. If we remain in a place of being proud towards other people, it's, it's most likely because we are in a place of pride before the Lord. 
And then verse 8 and 9, if you go to verse 8 and 9. It's interesting, this passage. Peter says to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter says, Lord, not only my feet only, but my hands and my, and my head. It's, such, it's so characteristic of Peter. You know, Peter's saying, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus is saying, well, if I don't wash your feet, you can't be part of me. because oh, I can wash all of me. I can just wash all of me. You know, the sweetness of fellowship begins with this being washed by the blood of Jesus. And for some of us in this room, we get that. We get how sweet it is to be washed in the blood of Jesus, to be forgiven of our sins, to have found peace with God. Our sins no longer condemn us. Our guilt has been released. Our freedom is before God, not before man. And for a lot of us in this room, we get that. And the sweetness of that fellowship, by nothing that we've done, but accepting the free gift of God through Jesus to be washed and to be forgiven, is, a very, is the entry into this very sweet fellowship with God. But for some in this room, we still may not get that. But sweetness of fellowship with God begins with this question, are you washed? Are you washed by the blood of Christ? Are you cleansed from your sin by the blood of Christ? Not because someone has told you you're clean, but because the Lord Jesus has washed you clean. That's where fellowship starts. And this morning might be an opportunity for you to say, you know what, all this talk of fellowship with God and fellowship with others, I I feel one step removed. I feel out of this because I don't know the very beginning of this and that's the the cleansing blood of Jesus to wash me clean, clean of all my sin. And this morning may be an opportunity for you to say and pray with me, with us this morning, Lord Jesus, I'm done doing life my way. I'm done living life where sin is controlling me. I want to be washed. I want to be cleansed. I want to be made free from this. I want a new life in Christ. Because what Jesus is saying, if you don't let me do this, you have no part with me. But it's going to take you to be humble to do that. Because pride will keep you away. Pride will say, not this morning. Not this morning. I've got too, much, too many things to do today. I've still got to go to High Point. I've still got to go to DFO. I don't want to think about Christianity today. It's going to change my world. I've got a party next Saturday night. Well, that's if you make it to the party. You see, being washed by the blood of Jesus is the beginning of the sweetness of fellowship. And then just to start to wrap it up, if you look at verse 13, he says this. He says, you call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have uh, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And I think a lot of us do call him teacher and Lord, don't we? I think if I ask most people in this room, is Jesus your teacher? You'd say yes. Is is Jesus your master? You say yes. Is Jesus your Lord? You would say yes. I'm sure a lot of you would say that. 
But he wants to make this a teaching moment. He says, you know, if you're calling me this, then look what I've done. Look what I've done. And therefore, you should do this to other people. If you really call me teacher, and you really call me master, and you really honour me with these titles, then watch what I've done. And let me, let me be your teacher and do what I did. Let me be your master and do what I did. If you really honestly call me this, not by name, but in your heart, you really honestly call me Lord and teacher and master, then go and do it. Humble yourself like I did and do. Now listen, look at this verse as we finish. Uh, verse, um, verse 16 Verse 16, Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. And I bring this up because I think this is where pride gets in the way and humility gets suffocated. Because he says, No one, a servant, can ever be greater than his master. Or the one who's sent greater than him who sent him. That's just natural. You don't look at a servant and his master and say, oh, the servant's greater. That's just a natural thing. Unless, listen, unless we see ourselves greater than Jesus. Wow, that's, that's proud. Oh, yeah, that was good for Jesus to do, but for me, no thanks. So unless we see ourselves greater than Jesus, then, then there won't be a problem. We're too proud. Okay, some of us might be thinking now, that's way too far. I'll never see myself greater than Jesus. Okay, well, let's not, let's not think about that for a moment. Then I'll say another thing. Unless we see ourselves greater than each other. I see myself greater than my brother. I see myself greater than my sister. And I think to myself, oh, I don't need to serve them. They should be serving me. They need to approach me first. I don't need to approach them first. Because in my heart... I see myself greater, don't I? And therein lies the problem of pride. As long as I see myself greater than someone else or, dare I say, greater than Jesus, I'll never find myself lowering myself to a place of a servant who washes the feet of others regardless of how their feet look. This is the issue people have with um, submission. It's not a very nice word these days. Well, it's made to be not a nice word these days. But one of the biggest reasons why people find it hard to submit to leadership and to submit to each other, each other, because the Bible says submit one to another, is because of pride. And to submit to leadership, because they think themselves to be greater. But I want to end with the way Jesus ended. He says in verse 17, If you know these things, blessed or happy are you if you do them. So we can walk away today and we can say to ourselves, Oh man, I've got to find myself in a place of service. I've got to humble myself now. This pride I've got to deal with. You know, life's going to be miserable. And I think, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean life's going to be miserable? What do you mean all of a sudden life's going to be like restrictive? And all I've got are all these bunch of rules now. I've got to help people and serve people. Hang on, wait a second. When I read the scriptures and I see the life of Jesus, I see things like this. More blessed to give than to receive. 
When I read the scriptures, I hear Jesus saying things like this, blessed or happy are you if you do them. And I don't know if there's anyone in this room that will say to me confidently, you know what, in life, I don't want to be happy. I don't know if there'd be anyone in this room that would say that to me confidently. I have decided I don't want to be happy. Now listen, that's very different to someone who says, I'm finding it hard to be happy. But someone who says, I don't want to be happy, this stuff about happiness, leave me alone. But Jesus said this, you know, if you do these things, if you learn the secret or the sweetness of fellowship, he goes, blessed are you. Or, translated also, happy are you. Maybe it's because we're always wanting to consume things on ourselves and we're always first and we're always greater and we're always better is maybe why we find ourselves sometimes very miserable. See how beautiful Jesus is to give us very honest truth, but not only that, to model it to us, to be a great example in word and in deed. Brothers and sisters, the sweetness of fellowship. We exist to love and serve each other as his disciples, to the kind and to the unkind. This is how sweet fellowship is. And I'll pray for us this morning that as a church, as we begin to mingle more and more with one another and fellowship begins to become sweeter and sweeter, the enemy, when he sees this, will continue to throw discord and seeds of ways to, 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 to bring division. But more and more, the Christian finds themselves humbling themselves and being in a place of service. That this fellowship remains sweet. Also, I ask you, are you washed? And this morning as we pray, uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an opportunity in your heart, in the quietness of your heart, to pray something very, very simple to the Lord Jesus Christ. Something like this. It says, Lord Jesus, I, I, I am not washed. I am not cleansed of my sin. I am still holding on to things and still uh, troubled by my past sins. And I know that if I'm not washed by you, I have no part with you. And that's what I want this morning. And I'll give you an opportunity to do that as well too. Let's pray this morning. Let's bow our heads before the Lord. Let's bow our heads before the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Uh, the Bible tells us wherever two or three are gathered in his name, he's in the midst of us. And so we know and have confidence that the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, that if you ask and call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. That he's not far from us, that he cannot hear us, nor his arm not long enough that it cannot reach us but if we call upon the name of the Lord he will hear us the Bible teaches us that it is simply a word of confession that we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths that we don't need to complete any kind of um, routine or ritual that God's love is very generous. So much so that when he loves us and forgives us, not only do we come into a sweetness of fellowship with him, but we also come into this fellowship with others. I'm just going to allow for a moment for quietness that if in your heart of hearts you want to ask the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Lord Jesus, wash me. Wash me whole. Wash me all of me, all my sins. Past, present, wash me all.
Cleanse me with the blood you shed on the cross. Make me new. Make me like you. I give you my life. Pride is going to get in the way, brothers and sisters. Pride is going to stop you. 100% pride is going to be your greatest battle. But this morning, if you humble yourself before the sight of the Lord, He will lift you up. He will lift you up into fellowship with Him, into the great call that He has for you. I pray this morning, as we all humble ourselves before the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can experience more and more the very blessed life that he talks about, the life that is more blessed to give than to receive. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word and your word that is, uh, speaks to all our hearts. Father, none of us, none of us, Lord, are greater than each other. You are the head of this church. You are the Lord of this church. And I pray that you would help us to be in a place of humility, of love to the end, and of service to each other. Father, may you continue to make this fellowship sweet. An unbroken fellowship that removes every barrier, every hindrance, and every smell of self may love purely and genuinely. Father, I pray for those this morning who may have prayed and asked you to uh, cleanse them and to wash them. I pray you strengthen their faith, that you encourage them, that you show them your glory and continue to be their peace. May they surround themselves by you, your word, and by those who love you and those who care for them. Continue, Lord God, to build faith in them. And faith in all of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.